Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Last week, uh, we talked about um, uh, really the opening story of the Christmas story. And a lot of times we were to ask, how does the story of Christmas start? Maybe people would say, oh, baby Jesus in the manger. Maybe people would say uh, Jesus' mother Mary. Uh, maybe they talk about the angel Gabriel. But last week we talked about how the Christmas story actually starts with um, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah. And how an angel, after years, hundreds of years of silence, an angel shows up to the scene and starts to stir things up a little bit and get things going for the, uh, for the coming of Jesus into the world to save all of us. And, and so, uh, so we talked about that last week, and this week we're going to talk a little bit more about that story, kind of the way that it ends. It ends in a state of worship. So we're just going to take some time and meditate on that today. But um, before we do that, I was thinking... Um, uh, wanted to explain. It was really funny because this past week uh, we were out to dinner, my family and I, with um, a guy, uh, Pastor Terry Kim, who is the pastor and took over uh, the previous Impact Church for us in Fairfax that we started. And he uh, is just an amazing guy. He's one of my best friends. And we, anyway, we were having dinner with him. And he, he's always doing this weird stuff. Like, I love Terry, I think just because he does a bunch of weird stuff and I don't feel compelled to join him. Like, I never, like, he's always like, hey, I'm doing this project and I'm going to go into this country and live for two weeks in a tent are you in and I'm like nah man but like I'll totally pray for you and I love you and love your heart and like you know let me make sure I have a copy of your will and stuff like that so we just like we we get you know we're just friends uh we do things a little bit differently and so one of the things he's doing uh this year is uh he was recording himself uh and some other suckers uh in in his church impact to uh eat weird things okay And so Terry, he loves to eat weird things. And so uh, he actually drugged me and Wes into it last year. And uh, what did you eat last year? Like a weird thing? The baby crabs? Yeah, yeah. Oh, delicious. And uh, and so like he was eating. So this year's theme was bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was disgusting. Well, my seven-year-old Zeke took a high interest in this. And so we're at the table, and I'm trying to shove down a French fry, right? And, uh, and Terry's just like, Zeke's like, do you have any pictures? Terry's like, well, of course I've got pictures. And in fact, I've got video. And so he's like showing them all these bugs. And Zeke is like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And so then he looks at Pastor Terry and goes, are you John the Baptist? <laughs> and, and if you're not familiar with church, like that John the Baptist is the child that we're talking about that Zechariah and Elizabeth had. And, uh, and, and the Bible says that John the Baptist, like, all we really hear about him is that he was born, he prepared the way for the Lord, and then he went to the wilderness and ate locusts and honey and was just kind of a weird dude, all right? So that's kind of all we know about him. And so Zeke, like, I guess because we have an awesome kids ministry at Impact Church, um, I guess he learned that. And so then uh, Terry's like shocked, right? Because even the adults didn't like make that connection. And so uh, Z- Terry was like, where, where did you learn that, Zeke? Like you must have an amazing, uh, you know, father. And I'm like, yeah, tell him, Zeke. And Zeke's like, 
Zeke's like, no, my dad didn't teach me that. I have a Bible on my tablet, man. I was like, oh, man, yeah, that's the days we live in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got a Bible on my tablet. Of course I knew. I read it in the Bible. Um, and so, like, that's kind of, but that, we're talking about John the Baptist, all right? So, um, John the Baptist, a lot of times people hear that name and they think like, oh, like John the Baptist, why, why, where's Terry the, you know, uh, the Presbyterian, and where's, you know, like this person, like, and it's not Baptist as in like denomination, okay? It's uh, baptism because he was John the baptizer. He baptized people, and he would dunk them in water, and the word baptism literally meant dunking, like they would dunk fruits and vegetables to, uh, to preserve them, like dunk them in vinegar and stuff, and so, so he was John the dunker, and, uh, and that's kind of how he got his nickname. And so John the Baptist is actually really important because John the Baptist actually prepares the way for Christmas, for Jesus' ministry. And so John was born first. So that's why we start the Christmas story this way. And so it's really interesting because a lot of times we just skip over this and we get straight to the stories we know and love, right? The shepherds, the angels, the wise men, like all of this stuff. But I think it's really important to get the whole full scope um, of that and as we're like preparing ourselves. And so this word prepare really like took me back to some previous trauma. Uh, where are my um, fans of math in the house? Anybody really good? Good. I'm glad. Okay. All right. That, that's about who I expect. I didn't, uh, Victor, I didn't peg you as a math guy, but, uh, but yeah. Okay, all right, yeah, I'll take that. You learn something new every day. I, I just, uh, I'm not much of a math person, and so when I hear the word prepare, I always go back to 11th grade when I was taking Algebra 2, and my Algebra 2 teacher, she was a beast, man, like, in a good way. She was just like, but she was just, I mean, it was intense, and it was hard, and I'm not a math person. Like, that stuff just doesn't make sense to me. Like, my brain just freezes up. Like, it just doesn't, doesn't always work that way, right? And uh, she would always look at me, and she would say this. She would say, Brandon, you look scared. And I'd be like, I'm terrified. I, I hate this class. I, I don't like any of this. Like, this, of course I am. And she would look at me, and she'd say, Brandon, don't be scared. Be prepared. And I'm like, that ain't helping nobody. We're all failing your class, lady. Like, that's not going to help nobody. So now anytime I hear the word prepare, I think about her. And I'm just like, oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, but we prepare for all sorts of things, right? Like, we, we've got, always got to have a plan in place. We prepare for things. And so I just want to ask a question. Like, I'm just going to kind of, I don't usually do this. So I'm not putting anybody on the spot. But I'm just kind of asking, like, if you had to answer this question, right, as we're preparing for Christmas, how would you answer this question, okay? It's not Christmas until fill in the blank. Does that make sense to you? It's not Christmas until, do you have an answer yet? What, what's your answer? Bake cookies. It's not Christmas until I'm eating sugar cookies, which I saw your social media last night. You're it's Christmas, baby. It's Christmas. That's awesome. What else? It's not Christmas until what? The tree. So the tree goes up. It's Christmas time. Doesn't matter what else happens. The tree is up. Uh, it's good. Who else? Anybody? It's not Christmas until what? Well, somebody had this. Mariah Carey. Is she that gospel singer? Or yeah, I only listen to Christian music. Well, it's not Christmas until what? The insane Christmas prep list comes out. 
Okay, it's good. It's a good thing that your wife is also nodding her head. So that's good because I wasn't sure how that was going to go right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to come over here. Uh, it's not Christmas until you watch the movie Elf. Yeah. That, is that the movie that christens Christmas that welcomes it as Elf? The Friday after Thanksgiving. Well, at least you got something right. That's good. What? Uh, it's not Christmas until nobody else. I'm sorry. Divinity, like the divinity of Christ. The Christmas candy. There's Christmas candy called divinity. I'll I'll Google it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, all right. Down, 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 down. The point is, we all have things that make it feel like Christmas, right? We all have things that prepare us, that get us in the Christmas spirit, that get us ready to celebrate Christmas. And, uh, and guys, like the Bible has something to say about that too. Like there is a biblical idea of preparation. Like this idea that we should be preparing ourselves, getting ourselves in a mood, in a vibe, in a way that we are about to celebrate Christmas. That is actually a biblical idea. But today, I want us to actually look in the Bible to see how we are supposed to prepare for Christmas. So here we go, Luke chapter 1, and let's start in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. You have to keep on scrolling down for that one. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Now, keep in mind that the angel has appeared to Zechariah. He was a priest. He was doing his priestly duty in the temple. Gabriel appeared, said, you're going to have a son that's going to prepare the way for the Christ. Zechariah did not believe him. The angel made him uh, unable to speak. And then Elizabeth had the baby that we talked about last week, named him John. He would become John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so now, um, John the Baptist, John has just been born, okay? And we are at the part of the story where everything the angel said was going to happen has happened, has come true. And now, um, Zechariah has been able to open his mouth for the first time in like nine months, okay? So for the first time since the angel said, because you didn't believe me, I'm closing your mouth, now... Um, officially, God has reopened Zechariah's mouth, and he is now able to speak. And what we're going to read today are the first words that come out of Zechariah's mouth when he is able to speak. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. If you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. Oh. All right. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. All right, so we'll stop right there. So what's happening is it says Zechariah is prophesying, and he is. He is, he is giving prophecy. That's what he did. He's a priest. But, uh, but in, a, in a much more real sense, he's singing a song. 
Okay, so this is a song like Zechariah is is busting out his best tunes. And I don't know if I'd be so brave after not speaking a word for nine months to start singing. But Zechariah is and and he's just so filled with the Holy Spirit, like he's so filled up with the presence of God, like God is so in this thing that Zechariah just begins busting out in song. And so I love this. If you look at verse 68, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That is a praise. That's what that is. To say like, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Like, like that word blessed, usually it's not, we don't like say that God is blessed. We usually say that God blesses us, right? We say, hey, God bless you. May God bless you. But what's interesting is that it's an often praise in the Bible that we will bless God, that we will say, man, God, you are already blessed. Like we don't have to ask anyone to bless you because you just are blessed. And so this first, first words out of his mouth, right, are not man, I've got nine months worth of dirt on all of you and it's time to get to work. Like he's not like ready to just start spitting things out. Like the first words that he's been holding in for nine months after being present with God in the temple, the first words out of his mouth are, man, blessed be God. Like God is blessed. Praise him. Like God is awesome. And, and I just love the fact that like Zechariah begins just praising God and and if you look at verses um, 69 and 70, or in verse 68 and 69, he says, uh, for, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So Zechariah is talking about what God has done, right? He has visited and redeemed his people. But then he also says in verse 69, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. And he's talking about Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus. So Zechariah is praising God for what he has done. And he's praising God for what he will do. And, uh, and I would just say, like, if we're going to prepare ourselves for Christmas in a glorifying way to Christ, then maybe we should take some time for some reflection. Like, maybe we should, like, before Zechariah opened his mouth and started talking, he spent nine months in silent reflection. And so Zechariah takes, the, takes this time and he uses it intentionally to reflect on what God has done and what God is going to do. And I think this is a really great time for us. And if you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you, build in some solitude to your Christmas calendar this year. It's not too late to do that. Build in a few hours here, a few hours there, a day there, and just sit and think about, God, what have you done this year? And what, what might you do next year. And so we hear about two things about Jesus in this passage that we just read. And I want you to write these things down because they're about Jesus and they're important. Number one, we learn from Zechariah's song that Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our redemption. And that's a, that's a nice church word, isn't it? Redemption. Ah, we like that. We like to see redemption play out in the movies, right? We love it when there's a bad guy, but then good comes into his life, <coughs> and good beats evil, and good wins, and there's redemption, and the things we thought were going to be bad turn out good. We all like that kind of story, right? Um, but redemption can be so much more than that. I want you to think for just a second like what it means that Jesus has redeemed us. 
And uh, the best way I, I think about it is kind of like when I think about the word redemption, I actually think about a coupon, right? Like where it says, like at the bottom of the coupon, you must redeem by, right? And so what does that word redeem mean? If I'm going to redeem a coupon, what does it really mean? Well, what it means is I'm exchanging something of very little value, a coupon, for something of greater value, which can be a free something or a discount of something, which is money and all, all this stuff. Like, like I'm taking something of little value and I'm exchanging it for something of greater value. And guys, that's what it means when we say that Jesus has redeemed us. It means that Jesus has taken our life when it had little value. When, when we were stuck in our sin, when we were stuck in our, our own ways, disobeying God, doing our own thing, all about ourselves, like that life that had little value, like Jesus takes it and says, I know you thought you were something, but man, now you have me, you have the power of God behind you, and so you are redeeming an old life that is, is dirty and old, and you are receiving a new life that is glorious and eternal. And guys, that's what it means that Jesus is our redemption. He is taking something old and giving us something new. I mean, praise God. Here's what else it means. Number two, write this down. Jesus is our horn of salvation. He is our horn of salvation. Uh, the horn of salvation was really actually used like in times of war. So it was like a, you know, you literally like blow a horn. And, uh, and what it meant was, it can mean some different things. It could mean victory. It could also mean like uh, that enemies were coming. And that it was time to like uh, go to war, right? It was time to come and bring salvation because enemies were, were coming at us. And, and I think that's the picture that we get here is that uh, he says Jesus is our horn of salvation. In other words, you are in a war and there are enemies all around you coming at you to invade you, to, to get in, to, to really just um, keep you from stop loving Jesus. And, and Jesus is your horn of salvation. He blows the horn. He is able to save you and protect you from your enemies. And maybe they are physical enemies, like, right? Maybe you have like physical enemies, right? Um, but more than likely, uh, your enemies aren't just physical people. More than likely, if you're a Christian, you, well, really all of us, we have an enemy called Satan. And he, he's like, he is at war with all of us. And, uh, and so, like, I want you to think that Jesus is our protection of that from our enemies. Um, and so I want you to just kind of look, uh, verse 70, uh, Luke 1, 70, it says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us. And here's what I love about that, is in verse 70, he says, we heard this from the prophets of old. And we talked about this last week, but guys, in between Zechariah proclaiming this and the last time God spoke to his people is 400 years. Like, we get frustrated if we have to wait four minutes for a cup of coffee, right? Like, if it takes... Four minutes for something to happen, we're restless, we're anxious, we're starting to turn into the Hulk, like we don't know what's happening, and, and I see it, because I've, I've gone out to eat with some of you, and the restaurant's like, yeah, it's going to be 20 minutes, and I'm just like, Lord, I hope we brought snacks, like it's just going to be a thing, you know, and we're going to have to do this, and it just start turning into the Hulk, but like waiting can be really hard. Guys, God's people were waiting 400 years for God to speak to them. 
That's a long time. And so Zechariah just proclaims this. He's like, man, um, <laughs> you've been waiting, right? We've been waiting like the prophets of old were proclaiming. And now finally, God has shown up. And uh, it's kind of like maybe there's some of you in the house. My kids aren't quite old enough for me to have this experience yet. But I remembered it from my experience being into college. And I know we got some families in our church that you're about to enter probably a, a really cool season uh, where this is the season where um, uh, our college students come home, right? And it was kind of sad last week because a lot of our college students from Mary Washington were like saying bye. And I was like, well, bye, I'll see you next week. They're like, no, I'll see you in a month. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going home. It's so crazy, right? But there's this anticipation of, well, now we have to wait because they're coming. And some of you are about to welcome your kids who've gone off to college or maybe live out of town or, or maybe you're going to go visit them. And there's this waiting that happens, right? But eventually there's an arrival. And that arrival, like, brings this amazing relationship and good time. And, and guys, that's what it's kind of like as we're waiting on Jesus. Okay, uh, let's keep reading in verse 72. Luke 172 says this. Zechariah just continues his song. He says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Isn't this awesome? So remember, this is a song. So you're, you might read it and be like, hey, hang on, didn't he just say that over here? And, you know, sometimes songs can be repetitive. So Zechariah is going to repeat himself a couple of times, but he really wants us to get it. And I think this song is, is so far right here reminding us of this truth. Look in verse 72. He says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Like, this is why we celebrate Christmas, because we are celebrating this truth. And if you're taking notes, write this down. God makes promises, and God keeps promises. God makes promises, and God keeps promises. Can I be real with y'all for a second? I'm not, I don't like to make promises to my kids, because I feel like I'm going to just break them, right? And the, here's the reason why I know because my kids wouldn't even, like, I didn't have to teach them what a promise was. They just got tired of me saying that I was going to do something and got tired of waiting for me to do something, which could have just been five minutes or five days or five weeks. They just get tired of it. So finally, they look at me and they say, Daddy, do you promise you're going to do that? And then now we've got some legal negotiation happening, okay? So now I'm like, well, bring your counsel to the table and let's Let's do this right. You know, let's figure this out. And I, I, I just think about like, I, I'm not, I don't like to make promises because I'm scared I can't keep them. Anybody else, you ever feel that way? That you're like, you know, I'm, I'm scared to make this promise. I want to. I think I'm going to do this. My intention is to do this. But there's just something about saying the words, I promise. Because man, that is meaningful. Like, really, the only time I see people say it without hesitation is on their wedding day, right? Where it's like, I promise, because you're just in love, and you'll just do anything, you know? It's awesome, but then there's like all throughout the, the rest of your life, you're just like, I don't know. Like, somebody looks at you and says, like, if I'm like, hey, are you coming over this week? Yeah, we'll be over this week. Well, do you promise? Well, now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, things just got weird. I don't know. 
I don't even know if I like you anymore. Like we're just kind of doing this thing, right? And so it, it can be terrifying to make promises. Guys, listen to me. Our God is not afraid to make promises because he is confident in himself to keep every single one of them that he makes. I am not much of a promise maker and I am not much of a promise keeper. I will let you down. I will fail you. But our God, guys, is a promise maker, and he's a promise keeper, and that's part of his nature. It's who he is. My love that he says, like, I, I promise that I'm going to show mercy. So God has promised, man, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending a savior. I'm going to send someone to come into your world. Like, I'm going to do that. 400 years goes by. I bet there were a lot of doubters out there. And now all of a sudden we see Nah, man, our God promised, and our God has fulfilled his promise. Um, he says, uh, uh, looking on in verse 74, he says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. So what was the goal of God making and keeping a promise? The goal was for us to serve him joyfully. And if you're taking notes, write this down. We have been saved to serve. Like, I think this is really important because a lot of times as, as people who go to church, we're just looking to punch our card. We're just looking to get out. We're just looking to have some sort of spiritual feeling, right? Like, like whatever. Okay, yeah, I want to be saved. I want to be saved from hell. But listen, God doesn't just save you from something. God also saves you for something. Like you are not, you are saved from death and hell. Make no mistake about it, but you are not just saved from something. Friends, you are also saved for something. It's not just now I have spiritual covering. Brother, sister, you also got some purpose now. You also got some kingdom, eternal, bigger than you purposes in your life. And it says it right here. Man, why did God make this promise? Why did God save us? God saved us so we would serve him. And how should we serve him? Man, we should serve him, what's he say? Without fear. And I love this because, um, man, this doesn't mean we serve under a pompous, arrogant, oppressive king. We are not serving under the rule of some God sitting up there with a long beard and a lightning bolt saying, yeah, you better do missions. You better be nice. You better do all that. Like, that's not who we live under. That is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve, listen to me, is worthy of our fear, but we do not have to fear him. That is amazing. The God that we serve is worthy to be feared, but because of our relationship with him, we do not have to fear an oppressive, arrogant, abusive king. We serve one that gets rid of the oppressor. We serve a king that is there to save us from the abusive leader, to save us from the oppressive king. What that means is we get to serve in freedom without fear. That can't be said of anything else. Any other religion, right? You are serving out of your duty. 
But when we follow Jesus, we are serving out of our love. Because who could not be compelled to a king like this? Who could not be compelled to a king that is so awestruck, so amazing, so compelling, so full of love and righteousness and holiness, yet wants to have intimate relationship with us? And so I want to encourage you today, like, maybe to ask the question, right? Um, hey, as I'm on this journey of getting to know Jesus, am I, am I serving Jesus? You know, not just am I serving myself. We do that for 40 hours a week or in Northern Virginia, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. We serve our bank accounts. We serve our families. We serve ourselves. We serve our interests. We serve our agendas. What I'm asking is that could it be that during Christmas, we learn from this, this song that Zechariah is saying that, man, I was saved. But I, listen, Zechariah says, I wasn't saved to sit. I was saved to serve. And guys, there's a big difference. You were, Jesus did not die on the cross and give his life and raise his life from death three days later to reign over all the universe from his throne in heaven. He did not do all of that so that we could come in once a week to a service that we may or may not even like. He did not do that. Jesus, listen to me, saved us not to sit us. Jesus saved us for us to serve him. And so when we are a part of the church, guys, that's what we do. We don't sit, we serve. Now, we all have different roles and different things, so I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're like, man, Brandon, I don't know how. Like, where, how would I do this? Well, guys, what we've done as a church is we've tried to develop some teams because I'm a, I'm a teams person. I don't like to serve alone, okay? Now, my wife is like, she's an introvert that fills her cup. When I'm like, hey, babe, why don't you go do this and do it by yourself? And she's like, I love you, baby. I love you so much. And I'm just like, I know I'm going to miss you so much. You know, like, it's just, we, just kind of how our dynamics work. We're a little different, right? And, uh, and so, but like, I really, uh, what we've tried to do is say, man, serving is so much better when we get to do it together so you don't feel like you're alone and also so that you don't get burned out and abused as you serve. Because here's the deal. Churches are um, famous, unfortunately, for taking people and um, harshly compelling us to serve or forcing us to serve or manipulating us or making us feel bad if we don't serve and then expecting us to serve without ever taking care of our spiritual lives and then leaving us completely burned out, feeling used and abused, and like we never really saw any real spiritual fruit from our labor. And guys, I, I, I just want to tell you, I don't see that in the Bible. In the Bible, I see a, a God who is worthy of our service, who we can serve without fear, without fear of being burned out, without fear of being abused. And, and that's also why we serve together, so we look around and go, we're not alone. And uh, so I want to encourage you, we have a few ways to do that. If you're looking and you're like, Brandon, that is missing in my life. That's missing in my life. Um, I want to share with you a few ways that we have to serve. Now, listen, some people say, well, Brandon, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm just kind of getting back into church or I'm just kind of figuring things out. And I just want to I just want to sit back and relax a little bit. And listen, I want to tell you with all of my heart, like I'm not telling you to dive off of a diving board into the deep end of the pool. But what I am suggesting is let's put a couple of floaties on and dabble our feet in the water, right? Like let's, let's, because we, like in no point in time 
are we pleasing Jesus by just hanging out on the sidelines for six months, which turns into a year, which turns into two years, which turns into three years, which turns into what we've been living for the last few years uh, during the pandemic and, and all of this stuff. So I just want to encourage you, could it be that God actually wants to use biblical service to him? Not the church demands this of me, but biblical, joyful, relational service to Jesus, that God might actually want to use that in your life to bring some healing to you to restore you back into the body and into himself. And so we do that in a few ways. We've got, I don't know how many teams, but we've got some teams. And, and here they are. Um, we've got a logistics team. Uh, they are an amazing team. They're the ones who come in and they set things up. Um, they set up these beautiful drapes that you have here and um, the chairs. And uh, it's really interesting because um, they come in and when, some, when the logistics team is busy, someone may ask me, like, how many chairs go on this side? I'm like, I have no idea. And, uh, and they just do it and they're amazing. And they set things up and, and do things. And um, it's really amazing. We have a worship team, um, which, man, are, they're fantastic. And, um, but you don't have to be like, you know, like some amazing, uh, you know, uh, musician or whatever. You just have to be willing to say, man, I, I can use a voice. I can, I can play something or I'll learn to play something like worship team. We have an amazing tech team and uh, they're the ones who usually don't like being talked about. And, um, but they serve behind the scenes and help things function and work. And, um, and we have an amazing kids team that uh, we don't talk about often enough in here. But they're kind of like the real heroes in the building right now because uh, they are safely and securely like not just taking care of our kids. We don't have a babysitting team. We have a kids team that is actually like loving our kids and discipling our kids and our kids have their own community groups that they're doing right now in the back um, we have a next steps team which helps people like figure out where they fit in and really just disciple people and we have a hospitality team that sets things up and if you got any coffee this morning which I did and I'm so thankful for and all that stuff man they're just setting that stuff up and I just want you to see like the groups and the teams of people but here's the deal those things don't just exist to function on Sunday mornings because Sunday mornings is only this much of what we do as a church. It is important, but it is not all that we do as a church. So these are the teams that are also helping us do outreach, helping us do missions that are going to help us reach uh, campus at Mary Washington and Germana Community College and help us do all when we do community outreach and do all of this stuff. So, so I just want to encourage you, like it's not just about the church. It is about also outward service and serving our community. Um, so listen, I just wanted you to know, I know that may seem weird, but it's right here in Scripture. And I just wanted to encourage you with it that, listen, Jesus is not after your work. Jesus is after your heart. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And so listen to this verse. You don't have to turn there, but we might have it on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. I just want you to listen to what Paul writes. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So guys, we don't serve because we feel like oppressed slaves. We get to serve because we are adopted sons and daughters of the king. Let's keep, let's, let's finish this thing up in verse 76. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. If you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. Man, that's good. 
and you, child, now he's talking about John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Everybody say prepare. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Is that beautiful? Yeah, it's beautiful. I want you to look at verse 77. He says, man, this is going to be the purpose of preparation. The purpose of preparation is you're going to give some knowledge of salvation. Now, guys, I believe with all my heart, this doesn't just mean more theology. This doesn't mean more intellect, but I think it means more awareness of salvation. I am aware that God has a plan for salvation. I am aware like that, that Jesus has come to save me, and I know how to do that. And so I think we got to ask ourselves the question today, like we've talked about are we serving, but I think we also kind of have to talk about an elephant in the room is are we, are we saved? And uh, listen, that's a weird word because, you know, like I'm not, I don't, certainly don't want anyone to question their confidence in their salvation or their confidence in the Lord. But you just might be here before, and you hear church all the time be like, you need to be saved and saved and saved. But you ever ask the question, saved from what? Right? Because what I've learned, especially in Northern Virginia, is uh, we keep hearing the word saved, and the bottom line is I don't really need salvation because I've provided pretty well for myself. Uh, my family's provided for, have a job, have my kids, have all this, you go look around your neighbors, you say, well, some people are provided for pretty well, so what do I need to be saved from? It seems that everything's going okay, kind of ho-hum, like, what do I need to be saved from? And here's what is amazing, is that actually what we are saved from is God himself. That the very God who saves us is saving us from his own wrath. And so, guys, Jesus, God all of his wrath for our sin. Sin is disobedience. Sin just means, it's a church word, all it means is you've done bad things. And I don't need to tell you that because if you've been to church, you've probably heard the word sin. you probably heard the word sin more than you want to hear the word sin. So you don't need me to press in on that, but that's all it means. It means that we've been disobedient to God. And here's the deal, guys. I stand up here as a pastor and I've been disobedient to God. Like, I don't deserve to do this. I don't deserve to stand up here and be some sort of representative of the Lord Most High because there was a time in my life that I was stuck here, that I was, I was in sin, like I was disobedient to God. And you know what? Like the bottom line is it didn't matter what I did. I could not remove my disobedience. Like I would sit here and I would go to church and then I would do something disobedient and I would go, I don't understand why I keep disobeying. I'm going to church. And then, like, I, I would go, man, I, I don't understand, like, you know, I'm going to church, or, um, you know what, I'm doing the right things, I'm, I'm not cussing, I'm not hanging out with the wrong crowd, like, I'm morally pretty good, and I didn't understand how come I'm going to church and I'm morally good, but I still mess up. Like I'm still, I still, I still stuck and I feel like every time I try to crawl myself out of my own like life, I felt like it just didn't help. I felt like every time I tried to do something to like spiritual to make myself better, 
it just actually kind of made things more dirty and muddied it up because now I'm like, well, I don't even know, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And so here's what God did. God said, yeah, the point is you cannot save yourself. Your disobedience, your sin is so bad that you can't. Like, you, there's nothing you can do to, like, climb out of the hole. He said, in fact, this is such a big hole that you're in that I'm the only one who can see you down there. And so God, instead of, like, saying, well, keep trying, keep trying, maybe you'll get it this time, instead of from heaven throwing a rope and saying, I hope this is long enough, God left his throne in heaven and came down to earth found our hole, and got in the hole with us. And he did that by becoming human in the form of Jesus. And Jesus came in. The only difference is, is that while Jesus was in the hole, we, we, he, he saw us messed up and sinning and disobeying and not being able to fix ourselves. The difference is Jesus never sinned. Jesus never disobeyed. Jesus knew his way all around the hole. He knew how to combat everything in the hole. And then Jesus, like in the hole, said, you know what? I've done this perfectly. And Jesus gave his life so that you and I don't have to. Jesus gave his life. And this is the story where he dies on the cross. And they nail him to the cross. And you've probably seen the pictures and heard the movies. And it gets real emotional, like his physical death. But guys, what really, what really saved us is not just his physical death, but the fact that while he was dying, Jesus or God turned his back and said, you are taking on so much sin for all of the world that I, I'm going to let you. And guys, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved. And now anybody who wants to get out of the hole doesn't have to climb their way out anymore. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And then three days later, to show that, that he wasn't just some dead religion, some option on the spiritual buffet, Jesus rose himself from the dead. And he reigns victoriously, and he is coming back one day. And when he comes back, he will make all things new. And guys, like, this is the joy of Christmas. This is what we're preparing for. And this is what is meant by the knowledge of salvation. So I just think we have to ask ourselves the question, like, have, you, have we been saved? Not are we religious, not are we spiritual, not are we going to church, but have we been in the hole and said, Jesus, you are the only way out of the hole. And I need you to come down here and save me. From my hole. And Jesus says, the Bible says, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of all of our sin. And then to get us out of the hole, He will cleanse us, clean us of all of our unrighteousness. And then He says, He will take the old heart and take it out and give us a new heart. Like this is salvation. The question is, have you been saved? Have you been saved from the hole? Um, one of the last things he says here is, in verse 78, he talks about having tender mercy. And uh, this, this picture here in verse 78 says, because of the tender mercy of our God. And I want you to see here, like, this is not God, like, making you get out of the hole or forcing you out of the hole or mad at you because, you know, man, I just got you out of the hole and you climbed right back into the hole. Like, that's not what God does. God is full of tender mercy. 
And the picture here that we get of tender mercy is the picture of like a mother uh, teaching their little child how to walk, right? That's the picture of that word tender mercy. Tender kind of represents the mother's love. Mercy is I'm teaching you to walk because you're going to mess up and you're going to fall a lot, but I'm going to keep picking you up and trying again. And it uh, reminded me of this picture we took around Christmas time um, a couple of years ago. And um, that is Zoe, by the way. Um, Zoe was, uh, she had just turned one. And this was our Christmas Eve service in 2018. And, uh, and so I was doing a, a moment and Zoe was sitting in Ellen's lap, like, like in the congregation. And, uh, and so she somehow slowly, I'm sitting there talking to the children, and she somehow slowly started making her way until finally she made her way straight to me. And uh, Robin, you took that picture. And I don't know if you remember that moment or not, but this is one of the most precious pictures to me because it reminds me, like I didn't know that was happening, but it reminds me of this tender mercy, this tender mercy of a child looking up to her father going, yeah, I just broke all the rules. I just abandoned my mother, but it's okay because I found my dad, and uh, he lets me get away with stuff, you know, <laughs> and, and she comes up, and she, she's, she's just leaning on me. She doesn't care that I'm preaching. She doesn't care that I'm trying to do a Christmas Eve service, right? She doesn't care about any of this stuff. She just barges in and makes herself at home with her dad, and guys, that's what it's like to experience the tender mercy of God the Father, that we get full access to him 24-7. And there's going to be times we're going to fall down. There's going to be times that our walk is going to be more like a wobble than a walk. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be times that our walk is more of a lay down and just take a nap while I'm down kind of a walk, right? Like there's just going to be times that it's not pretty. And you have a merciful father who is waiting there to pick you back up and walk with you. And guys, that is the good news of Christmas. And I just think, man, um, we kind of look at verse, verses 78 and 79. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It reminds me of a song we sing a lot during Christmas. Um, Maybe you've heard it before, but it's one that really just prepares our heart for this stirring up, and it's called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, it's this, it's this uh, feeling of I'm waiting. I'm waiting in darkness. Like I'm, I'm sitting in darkness waiting for light, but it's not coming. But I have hope because God said it's coming, so I believe that it's coming. And guys, this picture that Zechariah leaves us with in this passage is one of a sunrise. And in this sunrise, like I want you to think about a sunrise. Where are my morning people at? You've actually seen a sunrise lately? Okay. Yeah, like not even half. Okay. Here's the thing, like you can look at a sunrise and a sunrise is slow. Slow. It starts very simply where you see just a glimmer of light. Where you're like, oh gosh, it's already that time. The sun's already coming up. But you can sit there for like an hour. And it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. 
But you notice that it's not just like it's dark at 4 a.m. And then at 5 a.m., it's light. This is a gradual rising of light in our darkness. And I believe Zechariah is showing us that's a lot how God works in our life too. Is that we might be sitting in darkness. And I love that phrase. He doesn't say things may feel dark. He says, no, you're sitting in it. Like stuck in it. Everything feels dark around you and you're not quite sure how to make sense of it. And he says, but I want you to know that Jesus is coming. And you need to prepare. Because look, right over the horizon, there's a glimmer of light. Watch that light. Because soon it will go from a glimmer to a glorious revealing of Jesus himself. Brother, sister, you might have come here today and you feel like you're sitting in darkness. You feel like your kids are sitting in darkness. You feel like your marriage is sitting in darkness. You feel like your workplace is sitting in darkness. And I want you to know that God wants you to know that there is light coming. God's people sat in darkness for 400 years. And then John the Baptist was born. And they all of a sudden look and go, there's light. And so I've asked Wes to sing this song over us. This is not our response song, but it's a song of reflection for us. I thought since we studied a song in the Bible, we should hear a song. And, I, and it's a song about men come. I'm sitting in darkness and I'm waiting for you to come. And if you're here today, I'm going to ask you, sit in your darkness, but look at the light. See the light that is coming that is Jesus and cling to it. Hold to it. Don't let go of it because the light may not seem like much now, but it is enough to guide you, the Bible says, in the ways of peace. He is coming for you. And so if you guys would, man, let's just bow our heads and let Wes sing this song over us. If you want to sing along, you're welcome to, but we're not going to stand. We're just going to let this song sing over us, and we're going to reflect and pray on, man, am I serving? Am I saved? Am I preparing well for Christmas? Am I sitting in darkness? Where is the light? And we're going to reflect on these things as Wes plays over us.
worship team, rest of you guys can go ahead and come up and we enter our response time. I want to encourage you, um, if you are here today and you want to be saved, <laughs> you want to nail that down, or maybe you want to serve, or, uh, or maybe it's something else entirely. You're sitting in darkness and you could really use um, someone to come help. Uh, that's what those blue cards are for. You can check one of those boxes on the back or just write a note. You can put confidential, and I'm the only one who will see it. And uh, we'll make sure that we help you take that next step and, and help walk with you because you may feel like you're in darkness, but you are not alone because Jesus is with you. But guess what? You're also not alone because Jesus' people are with you as well. Um, so I want to encourage you. We are celebrating Christmas for all people. That is our theme this year. And so I want to just leave you today as we respond to God's word with three ways, and you don't have to write these down, but just three ways you can prepare to be a Christmas for all people. Number one, I want you to prepare yourself. 
You cannot help other people, right? Unless you're also getting help yourself. And so make sure that you are spending time with Jesus, that you are in his presence, that you are worshiping him. Number two is practice generosity. Be generous to other people. That starts getting rid of some of the selfishness in our own lives. And number three is pray for opportunities to intercede, invest, and invite. And that's how we're going to end today as we respond. We're going to pray. On all of your seats, I think you may have gotten an invite card for our Christmas services. And I want to encourage you to take those, and we have them scattered around. Take a few of them with you. And let's be a people this Christmas that say, man, I needed this today. But I also know someone else who needed this today. And let's get them here next week. Let's get them here on Christmas Eve. Um, Well, we'll be downtown Fredericksburg. And let's get them here Christmas Day and in January and February. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm just going to pray that we will prepare ourselves, practice generosity, and pray for opportunities to intercede, invest, and invite to others. So would you guys all stand with me as we prepare to respond? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.